Why was no one uh, at the at the at the doctor greet us? I don't know what you're talking about. Normally, people there uh, grab the ropes, help the ship in. My God, we had to do it all ourselves. We've been on the sea for ages, days on end, rough winds, high waves, the sun beating down on us. You know how long the journey is across the Atlantic, home to our motherland, and now back here to see you. And this is the, the welcome we're received with. You, you all sitting there. And what, what is that between your legs? Ale? Is that an ale? Yeah, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you calm down? All right, that's your problem. You're all wound up from the sea. Just come come sit down, hang out with us. Hey, well, why are you talking like that? That's how we talk now. You were gone for quite a while. See, that's your problem. You're never here. We develop new, new uh, ways we go about our business. This is one of them. We talk like this now. I don't, I don't care for that. We've always spoken the King's English. I'd have a good mind to, to go home and tell them what's been going on here. You're lazy. You speak so differently, I can't even understand what you're saying. I think you got the message. I think you understand it just fine. This is how we talk. Unload your crap. Get your boat out of the harbor, okay? We were sick of all these taxes they're putting on us. And I, by us, I mean us sitting here, me and the fellas, and you guys with your stupid hats and whatnot and your shoes. Why don't you calm it down a little bit? Dress like us. Buzz your head. Feels great. Throw on a pair of sunglasses. We made those. They look pretty cool. And grab an ale and just relax. I don't even, I don't know where to begin with you. We brought back spices and, and, and tea and what, all the things we love. Yeah, we're not into tea. We don't drink it. We like donuts. That's a thing now. We learned how to make them while you were gone. See, you miss so much stuff. We got a whole new culture here. We say things like pissa. What, what does that mean? I don't know. It's the equivalent of like a genius, whatever you guys always say. What was the, I don't even know where to begin. Things are, we like when things are good and we say, oh, that's genius. I would never say, what, what was the word you said? Pissa. Right? Like, look, my new, my new haircut. Pretty pissa. I don't even know where to begin with this. I don't care. Make yourself useful. Get your boat out of the harbor. We're going to chuck all that tea right in that water. If you don't talk to the king about all these friggin' taxes and all this business. There are so many things wildly inaccurate about everything you've said. I don't even know where to begin. When did this happen? Wait, what are you talking about? You're speaking. When did you suddenly just change? Yeah, I don't know. I was Sully's idea. Who on earth is Sully? Oh, you don't know him? Yeah, you're the guy, uh, Sullivan. Yeah, we all call him Sully now. That's his new thing. Oh, for God's sake. This is embarrassing on a level I can't even explain. I don't care. Once again, that's your problem. Always thinking through things. Grab an ale, sit down, and shut up. Um. 
Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave. A big warg to all of you Spaceburgers out there. Hope you settle in, get something delicious to drink, and enjoy part two. We're having some St. Archer Blonde Ale, as I'm sure you've heard. Perhaps you can have some as well and join in, unless you're driving or at work or something like that. Otherwise, enjoy part two with Pallavi. So you're... Uh... I think when you mentioned the probe and sort of like biomedical stuff, part of me goes like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I think I know what that is. But then neuroscience, I think of like brain mapping and sort of the helmet that goes over and which brain maps are lighting up. But I think everybody has like a specific idea they think of. um, And it's so it's so vast and also so specialized each each field. So biomedical engineering is the youngest of the engineering uh, fields. Uh, it was started in like the 60s or 70s. It was very prominent at Hopkins. Another, uh, you know, like it came out of their medical uh, school. Um, Case Western, for example, it came out of their engineering school. But but part of the reason it's so confusing to people is because it is it does span medicine and engineering. Mm-hmm. So that means any skill set can be applied to it. Oh, so okay. it as long as it applies to the healthcare field and engineering within medicine, it's biomedical engineering. So it could range from working with cells to working with animals to uh, working with metals, you know, <laughs> to make the probes yeah. to um, working on a computer computer, you know, and so it's like all these different skill sets apply to biomedical engineering, which is part of the reason that our generation has issues getting jobs within that field or from from graduating from that field. Like at Caltech, I was in the first class to graduate with a bioengineering degree. So they put us in a bunch of chemical engineering courses and biology courses. Like we had to take all these advanced courses and all these other fields without (laughs) fully having the foundation of each specific field. But we simultaneously, you know, like they really needed to look at our resume to see what research we had been doing because I worked, you know, in microscopy and working with uh, Alzheimer's, neurodegenerative diseases, working with cells. So you're Um, looking at, by microscopy, you're going at a slide, like a slice of a brain. What are you looking at for specifically Alzheimer's? So that that research is a little bit in the past, but um, I was looking at different methods of of viewing it. So that was <laughs> there. Yeah. So there are different things you can like attach, uh, to do. So I, I was looking at, um, different channels within the brain and you can attach things, uh, to them that you can visualize called quantum dots and they like flash. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one, th- one of my projects, but basically when you talk about microscopy, even within that, there's so many different things to look at. So like each of these fields has such very like specific niches, that's how you say it, right? <laughs> like, I always ask also. Niche, niche. I don't niche. have a preference, so I'm, I, I always Do find I interesting. sound like an idiot right now? <laughs> it's niche. Okay, it's niche. Um, we're making niche happen. Um, <laughs> but like, even, you know, at the conference that I was at, it was a neuroscience conference, and there were 30,000 people there. So there's so many different things uh, and categories you can fall into. And now more than ever, a lot of these uh, projects are inter- like interdepartmental kind of like intersectional in terms of like the different fields that collaborate on it when I was at Carnegie Mellon we were working on neural probes and I was in the biomedical engineering department as a biomedical engineering student but the professor that I was working for had a joint appointment within biomedical engineering and mechanical engineering Mm -hmm. so all the students I was working with I was the only biomedical engineering student in his lab and he was I was surrounded by mechanical engineers because we were building the probe yeah then we had to also work with electrical engineers 
that like another professor that had a joint appointment and there they were making sure that the electrical properties of the probe were accurate or you know and then the probe a little bit yeah um you know and then uh, but the point is like we worked with electrical engineers bioengineers mechanical engineers and biologists who like did the insertion of the probe so the probe so your brain is uh composed of neurons and other cells a neuron is a type of cell and other cells that are responsible for like the health of the neuron so they're like supporting cells mm-hmm. um astroglia microglia etc um the neuron is what sends and receives signals that is responsible for like everything for like learning yeah. for um all of our thoughts and for you know how we move breathing everything how does a nerve ending say my finger touches something and then that shoots up my nerves and then then it gets to a certain neuron that sends a synapsis to another neuron that lets me know like you're touching this is that kind of how it works yeah so this is all all neural signals are is an electrochemical change um and by that i mean uh neurons have they have, they're getting really into it yeah good <laughs> neurons uh they have uh ion channels um so they have channels that let ions in and out of the cell be- and so as they as uh, there's a shift these ions like change the potential of the cell the membrane potential like the voltage change and so it's literally it's all like electrical and chemical and so when people talk about like a chemical imbalance or whatever they're talking about all of these uh chemicals involved in sh- in sh- in moving this message um through your brain and or through your nerve endings or wh- however you want to look at it with the probe what it can do is it can like read and send signals so it can stimulate and record um and so for the probe that we were working on it's a uh, you insert it into the brain and then it reads the signals and it sends those signals to like a prosthetic arm for or through a computer through to a prosthetic arm so you like figure out what you your brain wants to do like how it wants to move the trajectory of the movement mm-hmm. and then it translates that and sends that to the arm and then like causes that movement to happen did they kind of the early one with like the first email ever sent by a person with paralysis where they attached a device to them and then uh, there was the monkey that had to like think, that had its arms locked down, but they were tracking like how it's... Where it's moving the mouse and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's very... That's, there are all these different algorithms to determine like how you move mm-hmm. um, or like what your thoughts can translate to. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's in line with, uh, with that research. I've been reading about uh, neuroplasticity. I just read this thing about phantom limbs. Yeah. It was like they're kind of attached to, to a certain degree, to facial things. So when they would like rub certain parts of a person's face, they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm feeling that in my index finger on my phantom limb. Yeah. And so re- reach, because they'll feel like immense pain. You know, if it was whatever the cause of losing a limb was, they'll sometimes always feel that. And the thought was that, your brain that was sort of the last thing it saw so it locks in some of that trauma Mm. and then attaches it elsewhere and so the that's interesting i thought that was so fascinating that do you look at that way with the brain that like every part of it is potentially kind of solvable um i do i'm a very scientific person i think so i do think of it that way like when people talk about depression or ocd or Mm. whatever i do think it is hard for us on a personal level to separate that from people's personalities or like addiction whatever Mm -hmm. but i do think it it is all very eventually solvable but it is hard to know like where you begin and your brain ends you know what i mean like yeah i i don't think we'll ever 
like the human race right now will ever fully figure everything out. Like I think if our environmental factors were stable and every, you know, if we weren't suffering from disease and stuff, maybe we would, we would. (laughs) Um, But I think we, like we are getting closer. The neuroplasticity thing is interesting. Uh, For those of you who don't know what plasticity is, it's the weakening and strengthening of synapses, which is where neurons connect to each other and how they send signals to each other. And the neurotransmitters that people talk about, you know, like they bridge that gap. There's a gap between um, one neuron and the next, and that's the synapse. And then the the neurotransmitters are sent across that. Um, and so plasticity is like the strengthening and weakening weakening of it, and it's involved in like learning and stuff. So it's like good for you to learn some things and also unlearn other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I don't know how it's involved with the phantom limb stuff, um, but it's definitely well, it's the strength, like the relearning, the so, relearning of the of like not feeling it. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. So they'll do this thing with because um, people just be agony, you know, they'll just be agonizing about like my limb is it's so sore, it's so tight. Yeah. And sometimes they they made this very simple little box where they have a mirror in it, and you favor basically you put both. Oh, arms I think I have seen that. this. So you put so your good arm goes in the right side. There's a mirror that you look at and it makes it seem like, like your arm's still there and yeah. it's fine and so then it feels like it's okay mm-hmm. yeah i think i have seen that that's I, pretty fun i like <laughs> that your brain is just slowly being tricked but also learning to heal like it's, it's fine it's okay just our brains are very like protected that's the biggest thing with the neural probe is like you're sticking a foreign object into a biological substance that's <laughs> yeah. rebelling against it with all its will because it doesn't know you know, like you we our brain's natural reaction is to create a scar like the astroglia will create a scar around it and mm-hmm. protect the neurons from this probe but the whole point of putting the probe in there is to read the signals from the neurons so you're pushing it away from its purpose and also causing this tissue damage and so and it, and it you know causes an inflammatory response and so like all of the probe designs now they're trying to minimize that damage so that they can have better readings and that the probes can last longer in the mm-hmm. brain well like with everything that I think when people hear that, the natural instinct is like, God, that'd be so terrible if they put that into me and then now my ability to enjoy a good book was gone or something damaged by, we think like the brain is this pristine thing, a probe goes in, it's like a nail going into wood. When it comes out, there's just fibrous damage done. I mean, but but what I was going to say is that it's largely you're trying to cure brains that have a certain malady where the probe is necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not even largely. That's what we're doing. (laughs) We're not just willy-nilly sticking probes into random people's brains. I'm feeling a little off today. Maybe it's not that. It's like I'm having substantial neurological issues. Yeah, if you go onto YouTube, you can find um, stimulation videos where people have Parkinson's and they're shaking. They turn the stimulation on and then it stops the shaking. So it's very, and like there are all these, there's a 60 Minutes video um, of, you know, the the prosthetic arm moving. Um, There's actually a a lot of funding from the the government from DARPA um, from the defense uh, department um, because there's so many like amputees and stuff uh, that are veterans mm-hmm. and so they'll fund a lot of these these things and like you know with memory and learning uh, PTSD is one another you know a malady that can uh, be addressed um, but yeah like this is expensive stuff and it's not fully <laughs> fully figured out even with Parkinson's they find these results that are very positive and like have really changed people's lives but there's not a f- complete understanding of exactly how it works like, within yeah. these systems within these circuits um, there is like a good understanding of like what they're doing where they're putting in everything but it's not it's not fully figured out yet. We just know that the results are amazing so far, <laughs> like for Parkinson's disease patients. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not, 
if something's wrong, you have to help. <laughs> like that's the number one thing. Well, going back, <laughs> that's to why we're doing it. You mentioned the thing of like, where, where, how are you? How do you define you? Say you take someone with addiction, otherwise a lovely personality. They're so thoughtful and caring, but oh, then when this starts happening, they disappear. They become volatile or whatever it may be. Yeah, and you solve that and maybe another part of them changes as well or someone that is uh, I think people with depression worry about that a lot like if I start changing those membranes and changing the chemistry so that I don't feel as sad what if I'm not creative what if I'm not as caring or emotional what if I'm unable to have empathy in the same way yeah but I think um I don't think it works like that exactly because we know where some of the emotional centers are and like what you know like we know the function of some of these places Mm -hmm. um but i think i was thinking it more of like in the negative terms in that people blame people with addiction and blame people with depression and like see that as their personality and as who they are you know and a lot of people do feel like they identify very much with their disease and like that's understandable if it's like you know affected your whole life or whatever but i yeah i think we've come so far with so many things with mental health uh and it's just getting people to to address it and to try and i know with like medicine same thing like i've been depressed before and i was like i don't have time to get fat right now because i was worried about like side effects (laughs) you know like (laughs) i'd seen friends who had taken medicine that helped them a lot but they you know gained a lot of weight and i was like i don't want to do that i'll just get a dog and i like got a dog instead (laughs) and it was like my therapist was like telling me to i could do one of those things and i was like i'll just get the dog and so for me i like understand the hesitance of like wanting to try different things and like wanting to change like my life feels like it's such a high pace right now that I like if I were to experiment with different things it feels like it would cause it to stop or slow down or it'd be my focus so I completely understand why people are averse to that but it is like I was talking to people who've taken meds and how you know that you have to try different like cocktails of things you have to try different meds to figure out what works for you because everybody's different but it really has helped like a lot of people and so like it's it's like at what point is it worth it? You know, like how much pain can you feel before you're like, you know, it's worth it to try at least. Mm-hmm. But everybody I know that's on meds, like it, it was a, sh- a rocky start, but later they like really paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. The other thing that I was thinking about was I know some people with bipolar disorder and I think one of the symptoms of that is hypersexualization. Mm-hmm. So then there are like these me too things that come out and it's like, they have mental health issues, but they still hurt people, Mm -hmm. you know? So like what, how do we address that? Where do we put the responsibility of that? Because right now I think, I don't know. I think people get a lot of like, they get, you know, put into like the prison system and stuff or that and other mental health issues. And that's not, that's not addressing it. There was, um, there was a judge that I saw that was on the breakfast club recently. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about how like her patient, her her patients, I almost said her uh, client, uh, the people would come in and would um, ask to be put into prison because it was the easiest way for them to get their drugs (laughs) re-upped and she would do it. Whoa. Yeah. When you're around like this close in with the brain and the research, how, where does your thinking on free will land these days? I feel really weird about that. Cause I don't know, mm-hmm. but also part of me doesn't want to think about it. <laughs> like, cause I'm like, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, at every point we have a choice to make. So say someone with an addiction, 
and now to get, I mean, when you mentioned like um, sexual assault type stuff, maybe a step back from that. They take money from you and they never pay you back or something like that. And then would would you say, well, you know, like it's their addiction or how, I have, how much is empathy factor? I, I used to, I think I, this is my own personal thing, but I swing between empathizing a lot and not at all. And I think it's a protective thing on my part um, because I used to empathize a lot and it really like changed. It would be like, I would be, caring about other people way more than I would myself. Mm -hmm. And so now I like step back from it. And I do think, you know, people have to take personal responsibility because I do not know that there are people who suffer from violence when they're kids who don't, you know, enable that cycle later. You know, there's, there are certain things that you, there are steps that you can take to help yourself. And I know with addiction, especially it's really, it's really like the part of the disease is lying to yourself and lying to others. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that one's a particularly tricky one, but, um, I think like, I don't know with that one, it's tough because it's like you want them to hit rock bottom so they get better. You know, you like you want them to get in trouble so they get better. Yeah. You know, like the main goal is that like the, the end arc, you know, like, but get them back to being who you remember them being but then doesn't over time usage of maybe any narcotic or drug fundamentally maybe different dopamine levels yeah it does change your brain mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean like it has to it's a lost cause or anything i don't think i think i'm very i think me and a lot of my science friends are very idealistic and optimistic about stuff otherwise we wouldn't be in this like right i i this is a personal problem again where i'm very naive about people and i assume they're at the same intelligence and empathy level as i am Mm -hmm. and because of that i've been taken advantage of like within the comedy scene and stuff but it's because i want to believe that people are trying their best Mm -hmm. and that they are capable of like healing and like you know being happy so i do yeah so i do think like I'd probably be pissed if they took my money. I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is my money. But simultaneously, like I would hope in the end they figured it out, but it is hard because you, I have seen people suffer that I just can't help Mm -hmm. without derailing my whole life completely. Yeah. And it is easy at that point to say all, all the empathetic side of you is just going, but this, but this, but this. And then I always have to do the same thing. Even if I don't fully believe in it, just like, well, at some point, you're responsible for something and we have to pretend that free will exists and they are therefore in some small way choosing to do this. I tell myself that just so I don't feel taken advantage of, or I don't feel too like everything's okay. That person murdered 10 people. That's okay. Yeah. Like the buck has to stop somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that people use environment and like conditioning and stuff as an excuse, but it's also like at some point you have to like try, like I think the thing for me is like, are they trying? Yeah. 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 You know, like, if they're trying, then there's like still hope. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same way. What's the most exciting frontier in it? And maybe to go all the way back to the too many cooks, cooks in the kitchen. Is it because it's such an unknown frontier where you're talking about like designing the probe and then you have biologists? And- I think it's great that there's collaboration because you need it. That's mm-hmm. what like, honestly, like I was a translator on that project because I, I was a biomedical engineer. So I had like a broad understanding, you know, and I was able to like communicate how the insertion process needed to be to like the bio biologists who were inserting it into the animals. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to like relay information back to the mechanical engineers and the electrical engineers of what the biologists needed. So 
I don't think it's a too many cooks in the kitchen thing. I do think that professors are like that sometimes where they're like pretty stubborn about their perspective. And sometimes there were times I was in the meeting and like they were yelling at each other and I was like, you guys are saying the same thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> we literally were saying the same thing. And sometimes you have to like, it's weird, especially since you have mostly like male professors in the fields that I've been in. You really have to like stun on them. Like you have to like, you have to like prove, show them both with evidence and also like just kind of tenacity that your perspective matters. And I found that my therapist calls it, she, she actually called me an alpha male. Mm-hmm. She was like, you, you, you're like an, like an alpha guy, girl. I mean, girl. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, and I was like, cool. But I think sometimes that like intimidates other people, but that's like literally in my family, like it was super loud. And then like in science, like you have to like prove yourself, you have to prove well, the- like your point, but also you have to do it with enough passion which is sometimes like not scientific you know has has, has the movie and, and television world kind of given an unfair idea of what science is when fucking yes oh my god i love oh, I, uh, i'm just such a i'm a sciencey kind no, of or they're the, the they're the mad scientists this right. is my thing i love superhero movies and i love comics and stuff and i like i watch like all of them as many as i can or whatever but like i get upset because they paint us as evil mm-hmm and it's like only Martin Shkreli's that way. Like what, what you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. th- like thousands, millions, whatever, like so many people who are like trying to just help yeah, and trying to do good. And um, so that bothers me. But then, yeah, also like people have this thing of like, if you're smart, you can't be like socially adept or like pretty or anything. Yeah. And it's like, I went to school with women that like were so beautiful like, I mean, like there are definitely like the nerd stereotypes or whatever, but like, there were also like women that I think are so beautiful and they also had, they were smarter than me. And I'm like, fuck, like you can have it all. <laughs> like I'm there's, sorry, like, or they're like talented. Like every, every nerd I know has some crazy talent, mm-hmm. like every, cause they, cause they're so smart and they, they're so passionate. They'll figure it out. You know, yeah. it's one of the things I like about this show. And I don't mean that because of the eye candy, but like just having beers and like, just kind of talking like regular people. Yeah. How frequently like. Like scientists are clearly they're very intelligent, but that uh, I think so often people think like they're so smart they're kind of in this Aspergersy world where they can only talk with each other. Which like okay, we did have a lot of people with Aspergers at Caltech, but I feel like the people that were like are higher I think than the regular population or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that the people that were social there are able to be more social and more communicative than anybody else I know because they're able yeah. to talk to people with Aspergers and social people, you mm-hmm. know, like they're able to like party with the regular people and also like communicate with people who aren't as social. Yeah. And I feel like yeah we get like even the grad students at Caltech were like oh like we were taught how weird you were (laughs) we were told how weird you were when we came in and we thought they were weird too (laughs) like we definitely are strange and like very like bullheaded and like stubborn and truth seeking or whatever but like we're not like we're like functioning adults we're fine (laughs) like like all of our like counselors and stuff were always like well you can't do you can't paint murals and do all these pranks in the real world and we're like yeah some of us are gonna fuck up but like a lot of us get that and that's why we're doing it here like we're just trying to have fun while we're here and whenever we did like crazy irresponsible stuff we did it in like a a lot of us most of us did it in a responsible way Mm -hmm. like there are definitely some people i'm like I would not go to the desert with you, but like <laughs> other people I would like chill with, you know? Yeah. You can kind of recognize like, this is you getting it out of your system. Yeah. Be it your youth. 
Um, so this this might be a long one, but going back to the Martin Screlly thing and all the research and, and development you're doing and you stumble onto something, whether it's like a, a, a at-home probe or more likely a medication or a simple device that anyone yeah. can use. And now you start getting into the world of like testing it and passing all of those things and, and maybe getting a, a drug company to invest some money. And now they're you're involving capitalism and then you you know it takes so long to for the fda to approve something to get it to the marketplace that the price point they put on it is extravagant are you excited that at least made it there are you disappointed that it's such a convoluted thing we have now i definitely have worked in industry um biotech industry and i've definitely felt frustration at uh the roadblocks there and the bottlenecks and stuff but it's honestly like if i were to create my own thing and to get it out there i'd be so happy it was out there because it is really difficult and part of the reason that there is rigor is because we want to make sure it doesn't hurt people right you know but but i think there what was the there's like some crazy number of like it's one point something billion dollars to have a new pharmaceutical on it like that's the cost before you even make money right um and that's why that's there's a bottleneck with so many that they it feel, that- yeah 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 they fail with so many but it's also like it just there's so many steps you have to like have you know like your testing of it and then you have like cells and like rats uh non-human primates human clinical trials and then like put it on the market and Mm -hmm. there are so many like fda requirements like we would get audited all the time by the fda and by other like you know like different um auditing companies Mm -hmm. um and so and you have to have your books in order and everything. And we had like old school lab notebooks, you know, like in biotech, they kind of make you, they make you like sign on the, on the tape or whatever when you <laughs> tape stuff in there. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely like, it, it's a lot of, like I have a lot of friends that are doing startups and trying to put their stuff out there. And it's cr- like, it's a grind. <laughs> like it's, yeah. they have to do everything from like creating the product to like taking the trash out. Cause they can't pay somebody to do that. You know, like yeah. it's a whole, so does that justify it that in the, on the other end, you're like, we have to sell it for $50, a uh, whatever the, Oh, I a hundred percent wish that it could be um, sold at things at rates that everybody could get it at. It is a, <laughs> it does feel like everything in life is like, do I invest do I like give away my money now or do I invest in me and then do better later? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, do I donate everything I have now or do I save that, educate myself, get to a position where I have more money and then give that away later. And so I think a lot of people are playing the long game. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was like in a Bill Gates position, that'd be like awesome. <laughs> or you could just like have a charity that tells people how to donate to charities. Like that's yeah. crazy. Or tackle malaria just all on. Your yeah. Own. Like, yeah. So if I, so that's, I think a lot of people in, in science, that's their position. It's a long game. Like they want to do good while they can, but they also are like trying to reach levels of stability where they can have a good life, but also give back. I wish so much of it. I wish it was all free. Mm-hmm. I wish it was like all accessible. It's ridiculous to me that people are dying for no reason, you know, for like not having clean water. Yeah. Um, that's heartbreaking. That's always been heartbreaking. For Speaking me. of heartbreaking, you kind of glanced over when you're working on stuff with animals. Is that difficult? I'm a vegetarian and I became a vegetarian when I was in fourth grade because I loved animals and because I, I was kind of like not eating meat anyways, but I was like, eh, I like animals a lot. I worked with rats in high school and a little bit after college, I never had to hurt, like put them down. And I never, I did have to like witness like surgeries on them and stuff, but I mostly did like training with them in like mazes. So I got to like give them fruit loops and stuff, <laughs> but I like named my rats and I like loved them and took care of them. Yeah. And like, 
it was all very humane. Like there are rules in place to make sure, cause it's not only if you're looking at it like, Oh, it's like a greedy thing. You know, the whole like scientific system was expensive mm-hmm. to like have a bunch of animal, animal, uh, experiments. Yeah. So it's like, if you're looking at the, the, that motivation, you can, you know, say for that too, like we don't want to have a bunch of bad science and, and, you know, like expensive science, but also like, I would, I felt I really didn't like working with animals um, because I knew what would happen. But I also consciously in high school, I was like, I'm making this decision for the good of humanity, which is like ridiculous because I don't think like, you know, not all science ends up that way. And you just like not everything works out the way that you want it to. And some (laughs) some routes are not the best method. But that's why you try to plan ahead and you try to like make you try to make sure that their lives are worth it, you know? Um, That's such a weird circle thinking that ideally we make a world a better place where kids can get a better education and spiral up to where at the very top they're sophisticated and experimenting on chimps. Wait, 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 this shouldn't be how, but it kind of is the staircase that goes up to like, but it's, this will be for the greater good. Yeah. I definitely, when I first took that summer internship, I was like, I'm working with rat. I like checked in with myself. I'm like, I'm a vegetarian. I love my dog. I love animals. Am I okay with this? Okay, I'm making the decision out. Because I had the forethought for some reasons. I'm really immature in other ways, but like for some reason at that point, <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to decide this now for my career if I'm okay with this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm okay with it. I'm just fascinated by you as a child. I was way better than I am now. <laughs> like I'm such trash now. Oh, <laughs> like, come I, like when I was a kid, I like so much shit that I said, I was like, damn, I really have potential, huh? You're doing great. You're doing... I'm trying. <laughs> you're a kid. You're not, you're not aware of what all goes... And not even to say that what you're, any part of what you're doing is a letdown to your child self and or something to be even remotely sort of shruggish about. I think it's all pretty incredible that you, know, you could be on the, the leading edge of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or any number of fields that are just wide open. ALS? I mean, imagine if you were, had a hand in, in solving that conundrum. Yeah, that's pretty pretty intense i do have friends with who could potentially have like neuro issues and stuff that are like genetic like that and it's like scary i have a friend that just got diagnosed with ms so if you if you guys solve something there i'd be delighted <laughs> delighted <laughs> just be oh how delighted am I? <laughs> oh you've done it i'm you've delighted done it again <laughs> that's amazing I, um yeah i yeah i i mean it would be but it's also like a lot of this is very boring <laughs> we're just at computers like fuck i <laughs> fucked up and then you're like I, I like i always um i always felt like whenever they did the movies about it about like figuring out like science shit like it should just be us like on a love sack surrounded by candy wrappers just like really tired like that's <laughs> the accurate way <laughs> so am i so let me give you um an idea of and I don't think I'm alone in this based on mad scientists and things like that from movies and TV Uh, a lab some glass walls some austere kind of white boringness around the corner maybe there's some cages of things and then different lab rooms where you have mazes set up maybe there's one where you have some chimp stuff and then you have humans that come in and you have maybe the nodes that they hold with each hand that's already all wrong Okay, So (laughs) so for me this is the world as, and then you're studying it and you're looking at a computer monitor that's watching them as they sleep with the, the weird helmety thing on and people are jotting down stuff. And none of that's probably true. No. So give me an idea of like just your day. In my lab? lab? Yeah. It's just a bunch of computers in an office. And then my <laughs> professor's office is through the door. Mm-hmm. And then the hallway is like the rest of the BME department. So what's the majority of the need for computers and the computa- computational things you're 
delving into. So the idea with computational modeling is that once you establish a model, you can use it to replicate like healthy tissue and then you can use it to replicate diseased states and then you can use it to apply pharmacological solutions computationally to those disease states and see what the effect is. When you're so then you can... Go ahead. I was just going to say that the computational part is, to me, there's a, a huge chasm as to me understanding what that So means. my lab currently is working on the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that is involved in memory. And we're working on a large-scale computational model of the rat hippocampus. Okay. Which means we're making a, a computational model of part of a rat brain. Ones and zeros? I mean, does that factor in what, what computation so it's it's really hard to get in the weeds with it um okay. especially if you're like you don't know every like all of the steps behind it we work we program in python and neuron which is a simulation environment specifically to create you know different neurons mm-hmm. so we like we're like okay i'm going to program a cell here's the cell soma it's going to have this many dendrites, which are parts of it. It's going to have the axon and the different de- compartments of it. And we're going to make this many channels in it. You're literally like building a cell. Cool. And then you build mil- a million of those and you link them together in the way that has been exposed. Uh, we've learned uh, exist in a rat hippocampus from uh, actually studying rat hippocampus, real life rat hippocampuses. So we match, we try to match our model to what we've seen in literature of like actual hippocampus the actual hippocampus. And then eventually down the line, what you can do is you are able to predict how the system will react. If you, if you match it as perfectly as possible, which is really hard to do. You have a lot of assumptions that you're doing (laughs) in it. Um, And then you, and you're like, okay, so maybe if I tweak these parameters, it'll replicate Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Like I'm trying to match Alzheimer's. Okay. Now it has Alzheimer's. Okay. So now how do I tweak the, which parameters do I tweak to make it better or like to stop the progression of Alzheimer's in this model. Okay. I tweak these parameters. Okay. That's equivalent to this pharmacological therapy. Okay. Let's uh, have our rat model of, of Alzheimer's. Okay. Let's apply this thing that we think is going to work. Oh, it does work. Okay, great. Like, so that's the ideal version of it is like, Oh, we can see how it works with a healthy model. Yeah. Let's create, let's, let's figure out solutions so that we don't have to use as many rats, you know, because <laughs> yeah. the first, the first step is like testing it out computationally, then with cells, then with rats, then with non-human primates, then in clinical trials with humans. Mm-hmm. So if we can eliminate as many steps as possible with that first step and target it better, target our solution and our understanding of the system better then that saves so much time and money, you know, yeah. like if you can create actual uh, predictions of how things work. People didn't, I think it, it was probably a far flat, far, you know, far flung idea that the human genome would get mapped out. And yeah. Maybe when I mean, you hear about this now with, and we hopefully you'll come back and do this again and we can talk more about like the, the singularity and mapping out like the entire brain and yeah. storing consciousness and all that. But this little part, even just the hippocampus of a rat extrapolating that up into a human brain and then building that out relatively accurately Seems like it seems fun. Seems cool. It's fun. I like it. I just wish I was two people because <laughs> it's hard doing comedy in that. Like I'll come back from shows and at one a.m. I have to like work on stuff and then I fall asleep in my work and then I'm like fuck. <laughs> gotta get something together for my professor tomorrow <laughs> and it's like a rush and then I'm like gotta figure it out. But it's also important. Like other labs are waiting on this work and like want to see what they're doing. And I just presented at this conference and there were people coming up to me like, oh, like how do you address this problem and this problem? And I'm like, oh, you're working on this other thing that could be useful. Oh, Oh, cool. And so it's like, it's important, like it's important work, but it's, um, 
very tedious when you're just like by yourself trying to stay awake getting the thing to work. <laughs> Bless you. Sorry. Oh God, Bless it's you happening again. again. I've never sneezed on this show. Really? Um, yeah, it seems like I'm the first. The first. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we we could go on and on, but I know you have to get going. So uh, hopefully, you will come back. And I'd um, love to. Cool, this fun, great. Yeah. And how did you like this Saint Archer Blondale? It was good. Yeah. Actually, like as Chris- I was, I was very aware of it as you started asking science questions, and I was like, "Am I drunk? Because <laughs> I don't drink that much, and I only had one beer." But I like felt it when I was like, "Oh, I gotta." be accurate (laughs) (laughs) i like to as much as possible balance that with the guests and that yeah feeling comfortable and not that you need like a lubricant of any sort it's just that um i am so much more nervous when i'm doing academic presentations than i am with any comedy thing yeah because i just like i just don't want to be dumb (laughs) (laughs) i just i just want to be like good but i'm but it's and it's also like it's up for more scrutiny you know like yeah and I, yeah, I just feel like so much more pressure in like my meetings with my professor professor than I do with uh, any comedy thing ever. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope you um, continued success in comedy and in science. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Well, I hate to do that to you, and by that I mean uh, getting into some juicy chit chat and then running short on time. So hopefully she'll come back and we'll continue that because uh, I was really that was tickling my fancy to get into all that stuff about consciousness and what have you, the mapping. She made it sound like it was um, relatively boring, but I I think what she's doing is uh, so fascinating. I hope you feel the same way. I hope that's why you listen to this show. I can only imagine you do find something uh, enjoyable about these conversations. And if you don't, let me know. Pings at thespacecave.com. Send an email or you can tweet uh, at space underscore cave. And I'll do my best to change it to your liking. That's if there's like an avalanche of you saying, hey man, we all got together and we agree. There should be more conversations about this or whatever that might be. I don't know. Um, that goes for beer and, and if you have music recommendations as well. Oh, and welcome aboard to our newest $5 patron, Brian McGlynn. I really appreciate that and... Um, Thanks for supporting the show. It is made possible from contributions by listeners just like you. There are no ads. I'd like to keep it that way. Hopefully it has some value and for, you know, for a cup of coffee a month or something like that. If you want to hear bonus episodes, additional extended chats with people, well, the Patreon is a great way to do that. Try to keep this ad free as long as possible. I mean, no one's knocking down my door to do the ads. But, uh, you know, like people can seek them out. Every now and again, someone will mention to me, you know, I know an ad person or I can put you in touch. And I, I don't want to do it. I don't know. I just think it's nice to have something that is not bombarding you, our eyes, our ears. Isn't that so weird? You go to like the airport and the tray that you put your shoes and stuff in has advertising as if everywhere people are looking and going, we could, we could sell them something there. That's, that's, that's eye space. The idea of billboards is such a weird concept. The people just driving along, looking out into the distance, and they were like, I don't like them being able to see the distance without me getting my product in there. Let me sell them my stuff. And it's just, I guess that's the world we live in, obviously. I don't know why I rail against it. I think the people that succeed the most go like, well, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. They have that feeling of like, it's just the world we live in. And then they do some maybe seemingly sort of terrible things, but they're within the construct of the game itself. I don't know. I like um, I like this design of things. It's not the most 
step on people's throats and get your way to the finish line that there is as far as procedures, but it's, it's, I, I like it. I like recording the podcast the way I do. I like that those of you that enjoy the show get to listen to it, uh, in the way that you like and get some bonus stuff behind the scenes and feel like you're helping it to push along this little thing, whatever it is. I can't tell if you like something that is really unpopular (laughs) or if it's cool that you know this little thing that not everyone knows about. It's not like ubiquitous in the world. It's this tiny little thing. There are roughly the same amount of Patreon people as there are likes for the show on uh, iTunes, which I think is a fascinating concept. It's just this tiny little nucleus of people that are like, I like this thing. I'd like to see it keep going. And I've had friends that start podcasts and uh, I guess they seem to have some sort of baseline parameters or something like a number of, well, we had to shut it down. Only this many people were listening. And I had never really occurred to me. I don't know why. I guess sensibly, again, going back to the rules of the game, you should. You should look at things in your life, the way, whether they're going good or bad, and be like, this sucks. I'm cutting it out of my life. But sometimes you just like something and it doesn't really matter if it... Uh, is a huge smashing success or otherwise. You're just like, eh, I just like doing it. So that's how I feel this show operates. And uh, I just like doing it. And I'm glad you like listening as well and telling a friend and maybe, um, I don't know, any other of the metrics that help out the show. Or if you just want to keep it your own secret little thing, that's fine too. Okay, I think that's it. You can follow Pallavi on Twitter. Keep an eye on shows she's doing around Los Angeles, things of this nature. And hopefully we'll get her and other neuroscientists on in the future talk more about just what do we know about this human brain. Thanks to Dan for putting the show together. As always, out of the goodness of his heart, down under in Australia. The Junk Show returns this week. I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I'm not great at promoting things, but if you happen to be in Los Angeles, great lineup. Uh, this Sunday, December 9th, and I'll be back to host it. I missed the last one, so I'm excited to be back with the whole squad that's at the Copper Still on Beverly Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. All right, let's get out of here. This band has an album. I think you can download the whole thing uh, on their website if you Google them. However, I tried to do that and it ended up getting far afield. And I couldn't tell if they were playing a trick on me or if it actually worked and I was just not figuring out how to go about it. In any way, it's findable and you can get their entire EP for free which I thought was a pretty cool move Uh, so I like when anyone's doing that very similar to what I was just talking about with this very show so I hope you like this song it's called Between Days it's from a band called Far Caspian thanks for stopping by the Space Game